Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith, using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. Last time we considered what the Bible teaches about God's decree of election. And today, with the Lord's help, we want to continue to learn about God's plan of redemption for fallen sinners, specifically what God did to rescue us from the pit of sin and the misery in which we had plunged ourselves in the fall. Well, in this connection, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 as we read the verses 1 to 15. Hear the word of God. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So far the reading of God's holy word. Dear friends, human beings, whether first responders or not, will sometimes go to extraordinary lengths to rescue someone from danger, especially if it's someone they love, but sometimes even complete strangers. They will run into burning buildings. They will scale steep mountains and swim treacherous waters. They'll walk and run for many miles, all in order to save a life. But as wonderful as these feats of heroism are, they're nothing compared to what God did to recover fallen sinners. 
We come today in our study of the Belgic Confession to Article 17. During the past several weeks, we've been reflecting on the fall of man. In Article 14, we learned that God created man after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy, capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. We also learned that in spite of these excellent gifts, man willfully chose to subject himself to sin, and consequently to death and the curse, giving ear to the words of the devil. So doing, he became separated from God. His whole nature became corrupt, and he made himself liable to corporal and spiritual death. What is more, he lost all his excellent gifts, which he had received from God. He lost the image of God in the narrow sense. Then in Article 15, we learned of another consequence of man's fall. It is original sin. And there we learn that from the moment we are conceived, we have a sinful nature. And this sinful nature extends from generation to generation. And it's so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. Now, thankfully, God did not leave man to himself. Instead, as we saw last time in Article 16, God from all eternity chose a certain number out of the whole human race to salvation in Christ while passing others by. And we call this the doctrine of election. This is where the story of redemption begins. It begins with God choosing sinners to eternal life in Christ. But that is not all that God did. God worked not only in eternity, but also in time. For as we have read in our scripture reading, and as we also confess in Article 17 of the Belgian Confession, God promised to send the seed of the woman, his only begotten son, into the world to crush the head of the serpent, and thereby to secure the redemption of his people. Well, with this in mind and the help of the Lord, let us consider the teaching of this article under the theme, God's Recovery of Fallen Man. And we'll consider two points. First of all, our plight. And secondly, God's provision. The story of God's recovery of fallen man begins with the fall of man into sin. We read about that earlier in Genesis chapter 3. There we read that after God created Adam and Eve, and placed them in the garden. He told them that they could freely eat of all the trees of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned them that the day they ate of that tree, <coughs> they would surely die. Now, sadly, Adam and Eve disregarded God's command. One day, the devil, appearing in the form of a serpent, encouraged Eve to eat of the tree. And he told her, that she and her husband would become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And they were told that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. <coughs> and we read that suddenly their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And then they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now our confession describes the fall of man into sin 
as man, and I quote, throwing himself into physical and spiritual death. Think of a man standing on the edge of a deep pit. He has two choices. He can either walk away from the pit and live in perfect fellowship and communion with God, or he can throw himself into it and die. Well, incredibly, man of his own free will chose to throw himself into the pit. He chose death instead of life. And this is something that man himself decided to do. God did not force him to do this, nor did the devil. He did this of his own free will, which he had before the fall. And as a result, he subjected himself, our confession says, to temporal and spiritual death. Now, when our confession speaks of temporal death, it's referring to the fact that as a result of the fall, man must die physically. And as we've already observed, God warned him that that would happen. Well before Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, God told them that the day they ate of the tree, they would surely die. And God confirmed that in Genesis 3.19. There, as part of the curse which God pronounced on Adam, God said, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that's exactly what happened. And in Genesis chapter 5, we have the genealogy of Adam. And after mentioning the name of each of Adam's descendants and how long they lived, we read the same refrain over and over and over again. And he died, and he died, and he died. This is why we die. This is why sometimes children and young people die. It's because of the fall into sin. Death is the just judgment of God against sin. But that is not all. Not only did man subject himself to physical death, he subjected himself to spiritual death as well. And by spiritual death, our confession is referring to the fact that when we fell, we died spiritually. Whereas before the fall, we loved God, we delighted in doing his will. After the fall, we came to hate him, and we despised doing his will. We became spiritually dead wholly incapable of doing anything to save ourselves, consigned to spend an eternity in hell. One writer compares the fall of man into sin as a form of suicide. And that's exactly what it was. When man fell into sin, he committed physical and spiritual suicide. In fact, every sin we commit is an act of suicide. It is a throwing of ourselves into the temporal and eternal death. And I wonder if we realize that sufficiently. My friends, do you realize how serious sin is? Do you realize that it is a form of suicide? Oh, how we should hate sin then. How we should flee from it. How we should seek for a remedy for it. For unless we seek a remedy for sin, we will surely perish. Well, thankfully, the Lord God in his great wisdom and grace has provided such a remedy. He made provision for our salvation, and that's my second point. Immediately after man sinned against God, God came to his rescue. Our confession describes what God did like this. And I quote, We believe that our most gracious God, in his admirable wisdom and goodness, 
seeing that man had thus thrown himself into temporal and spiritual death and made himself wholly miserable, was pleased to seek and comfort him when he, trembling, fled from his presence. End quote. Now the language here is taken from Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. And there we read that after partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now why did Adam and Eve hide themselves? Partly because they were embarrassed. For the first time their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And so they ran into the garden to find themselves something to cover themselves with. But the main reason why they were afraid, why they hid rather, was because they were afraid. They knew that what they had done was wrong. They also knew that God would not be very pleased with them. And so they ran into the garden in order to hide from God. Man here is acting just like a little child would. When a child does something wrong, he will often hide from his mum and dad. The simple reason that he doesn't want to get into trouble and he doesn't want to get punished. We see the same thing happening here. Adam and Eve fled, trembling from the presence of God so as to avoid his wrath. But beloved, while man fled from God, God did not flee from man. Instead, he went looking for him. Our confession says that God in his admirable wisdom and goodness was pleased to seek and comfort him. Now this is what we read in verse 9 of Genesis 3. There we read that after Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, that the Lord came after Adam, and he called out to him, and he said, Where are you? Now there's something very significant going on here. You'll notice that man did not seek after God, for man was hiding from God and trembling. No, God was seeking after man. God came to Adam, and he called out, Where are you? Now why did God ask Adam where he was? Well, it's not because God didn't know. God knows everything. He asked Adam where he was because unless he called, Adam would never come. What is more, he wanted to assure Adam that he was not out to destroy him. He had come on an errand of peace and mercy, not of judgment. And so he called, where are you? Do you see how important this is? Unless God had sought after man, we would all be lost. Unless God had taken the initiative we would all be consigned to spend an eternity in hell. But God did not allow that to happen. He would not allow his image bearer to perish in his sin. Instead, he reached down into the pit and he grabbed us by the hand and pulled us out. And our confession says that it pleased him to do so. We learn from that little word something about what lives in the heart of God. Some people seem to think that God only very reluctantly saves sinners. He would much rather, in his righteous judgment, cast them all into hell. But that's simply not true. The truth is the exact opposite, in fact. God only very reluctantly casts sinners into hell, but very willingly saves them. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God commands Ezekiel to tell the people, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, 
Turn from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in casting sinners into hell. On the contrary, he takes great pleasure in saving them. And we have a beautiful illustration of that here in our text. God was pleased to seek and to comfort Adam when he, trembling, fled from his presence. Now, why did God do this? What was his motive? Our confession gives the answer. It was his grace. We read here in this article, we believe that our most gracious God. So God came looking for man because he is gracious. Now today, when we describe someone as gracious, we mean he or she is kind and well-mannered and polite. That's not the meaning here. The meaning of the word gracious goes much deeper than that. When the Bible says that God is gracious, it means he bestows favor on those who do not deserve it. And that's what God does when he saves a sinner. He bestows favor on those who do not deserve it. He saves them not because of anything in them, for there is nothing in them, but in spite of them. In fact, God would have been perfectly just to allow every one of us to perish in our sins. But he didn't do that, did he? No, instead, in his grace, God condescended to seek and to comfort man when he, trembling, fled from his presence. It's no wonder that we sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's because by this grace, we, sinful wretches that we are, are saved from the greatest evil to the greatest good. And there is nothing more amazing than that. Now perhaps you say, well, what did God do exactly that was so gracious? Well, I'll tell you, he promised to send a deliverer. And this too is clear from Genesis chapter 3. There we read that after God called for Adam, Adam came forth and presented himself to God. Now Adam had no choice in this. When God calls, and that call is effectually applied by the work of the Holy Spirit, man cannot resist. He must come to God. And this is what we see playing out here as well. God calls, and Adam comes. Well, immediately after appearing before God, God asked Adam what he had done. And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God asked Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Well, not wanting to be held responsible, Adam blamed his wife Eve and ultimately God. He said, the woman whom you gave to be, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then turning to the woman, God asked, what is this you have done? But Eve blamed the serpent, and she said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Following this, the Lord turned to the serpent and said this, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is the first gospel promise, sometimes called the mother promise, because it's the source and fountain of all the other promises of the word of God. Here in this verse, God promises to put enmity, or we could say hostility, opposition, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now what is this seed of the serpent and seed of the woman? Well, on one level, this is simply another way of speaking about the church and the world. 
seed of the woman is the church and the seed of the serpent is the world there always was enmity between these two and there still is today ultimately however the seed of the woman is the lord jesus christ and so what god is saying is this he's saying that he will put enmity he will put hostility opposition between the seed of the serpent the world and ultimately satan and the seed of the woman the church and ultimately christ and that means they will be in a state of perpetual conflict with one another the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman but the seed of the woman will bruise or crush the head of the serpent in other words there would come a day when this conflict would end in victory for the seed of the woman and that would happen when the seed of the woman christ would take upon himself human flesh suffer and die and rise again and in doing this he would crush the head of the serpent he would deliver his people from bondage to sin and satan and give them victory over death and an entrance into everlasting life well this is the provision that god made for sinners and is this not a wonder only a few minutes after adam and eve had thrown themselves into the pit of temporal and spiritual death god in his grace came to them with his promise he would send his son into the world to die for the sins of his people and restore to them righteousness and life well in doing this our confession says god displayed both his wisdom and his goodness he displayed his wisdom because in this way both the justice and the mercy of god could be satisfied his justice could be satisfied in that through the death of christ the penalty for sin could be paid and his mercy could also be manifested in that those who believe on the lord jesus christ will be saved he displayed his goodness because god was under no obligation to do this god would have been perfectly just to allow us to perish in our sins forever and the fact that he didn't displays his unfathomable immeasurable goodness oh my friends what a great god we serve although we fled from him he came looking for us although we plunged ourselves in misery he came to us with a message of hope although we deserve to die he offers us life by believing on his son jesus christ now you say why did god do all of this why did god decide to recover fallen man what was his aim what was his goal well ultimately he did it for his own glory that's why god does anything in order to promote his own glory but our confession gives another reason it was to make us happy that's the word that's used here now the word happy can perhaps better be translated as blessed aside from the glory of god the goal of god's recovery of fallen sinners is to make them blessed and what does that mean what is this blessedness that our confession speaks of here well it's the blessedness of the believer it's the blessedness of knowing that all my sins have been forgiven on the basis of the atoning work of jesus christ it's the blessedness of knowing that through faith in christ i stand before god justified just as though i had never sinned it's the blessedness of knowing that once i come to christ for salvation i shall be preserved in that salvation until the lord comes again in glory 
It is the blessedness of knowing that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, that he sanctifies me, that he gives me grace to resist temptation and to put sin to death in my life and to live in accordance with the commandments of God to the glory of God. It's the blessedness of knowing that when I die, my soul will go immediately to heaven and there it will remain with Christ until the day that he comes again and it will be reunited with my glorified body and I will live body and soul praising and glorifying my Savior and reigning with him to all eternity. My friends, this is why God sent his Son into the world. It was to make us truly happy, truly blessed. Let me ask you as I close, does this also make you happy? You know, people today look to all kinds of things to make them happy. They look to love and money, sex, music, entertainment, popularity, fame, and power. But none of these things can bring true happiness. True happiness can only be found when we are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore I urge you, if you have never repented of your sins, and if you had never believed on this Savior, I urge you to do so today. He is so willing and so able to save you. This is why he left the glories and the riches of heaven to come to this earth. This is why he assumed our flesh and blood. This is why he suffered and died and rose again. He did so so that sinners like you and me can be saved. For the promise of the gospels that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, believe on him then, while there is still time. He and he alone can make you truly happy. Do not look for happiness anywhere else. If you do, you will surely be disappointed. Your true happiness is to be found in Christ. It is in knowing him and having a living relationship with him, being united to him and a partaker of all his benefits. Well, at the beginning of the sermon, I observed that human beings will sometimes go to extraordinary lengths to rescue someone from danger, especially someone they love. Well, my friends, having considered what God did to rescue fallen sinners, I trust you will agree with me that whatever human beings might do for each other, that is nothing compared to what God has done for his people. He did the unthinkable. He sent his only begotten Son into the world, to suffer and to die, and that for people like us who deserve only his wrath and condemnation. Oh, how great is his love for sinners. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website 
at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage again is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.